0: Blog Talk Radio. Sale or rent, rooms to let 50 cents. No phone, no pool, no pets. I ain't got no cigarettes, I but two hours of pushing brooms. Buys a 8 for 12 for room I'm a man of means, by no means king of the road. Third boxcar, midnight train Destination, Bangor, Maine Old worn-out suit and shoes I don't pay no union dues I smoke old stogies I have found Short, not too big around I'm a man of means by no means King of the road For sale or rent Brooms to let Fifty cents No phone, no pool No pets I ain't got no Cigarettes, I but Two hours of Pushing brooms by Eight for twelve For bit room I'm a man of means By no means King of the road king of the road, king of the road.
1: Well, good evening and welcome to the Monday, November 6th edition of the Old Dominion Libertarian. I'm Joan Ruffy here with Andy Craig and Jeffrey Sanford, and I think Jeff Klebb is going to be joining us in just a moment. Hello, guys. How are you tonight? Hey, Joe. So glad to hear that big band sound again. (laughs) Yes. So how are you guys tonight?
2: Oh, doing pretty good. We're we're back on the show.
1: (laughs) Yes, we are. Well, we have a lot to talk about tonight. And we, um, we have a special guest with us, uh, Phil Anderson, who is the chair of the uh, Wisconsin Libertarian Party and currently running for Wisconsin governor as a libertarian with his running mate, Patrick Baird, who is running uh, for lieutenant governor. And maybe we'll have Patrick on um, at a later time. But um, lots going on in the news um, so I guess Jeffrey had brought up some stuff to talk about, so I guess we can we can do that. Start off with probably the biggest thing in libertarian circles, and I can see Andy's rolling in his eyes, he, yeah, as I say that, <laughs> but um, Rand Paul got attacked in his front yard a few days ago, so I'll let you start, Andy, since I brought you up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I get to, to take this one out. Um well, yeah, I followed the, the news, and, uh, you know, I like to tease Rand about a lot of different things, but, of course, wish him a, uh, a full and speedy recovery. He uh, Supposedly, the injuries turned out to be a little bit more severe than they thought at first. He had uh, has five broken ribs and is still in the uh, hospital and can't immediately fly back to D.C. to do Senate work, so uh, this moron who attacked him may well end up facing some some. Probably at least state level felony charges, and may get some uh, federal charges too because of, you know because of Rand being a senator. Um, it's kind of a weird story. We, we don't really know the the background yet or what the reasoning was. We do know that this was his neighbor who's an anesthesiologist, of course Rand is an ophthalmologist and uh, you know living right next door. They must have worked together there uh, at some point, probably it's the same hospital there in Bowling Green. So, uh, you know, people have been kind of rushing to speculate, oh, this is political, or, you know, this guy's apparently kind of a Bernie Sanders-supporting Democrat, and maybe that would have something to do with it. We really just don't know yet. Um, it, it might have been that. It might have been some personal feud that didn't have anything to do with politics, but it's uh, definitely kind of bizarre and unfortunate. Um, you know, like I said, I, uh, I don't wish, certainly don't wish harm on political enemies, and, uh and ran uh uh you know, whatever my disagreements with them certainly doesn't deserve anything like this and it's you know, so yeah. he was at the um uh congressional baseball game earlier this year where Scalise was shot. Uh so these had kind of a rough year on the uh physical security front. Um but uh yeah, that's uh that's about what we know about it now. This guy was another doctor. I
2: saw there was a story that the the, the a lawyer uh, for this guy Renee Boucher, and for some reason I know that name. It's weird that I would think I knew a name from Bowling Green, Kentucky. But anyway, uh, his lawyer says um, the unfortunate occurrence of November third has absolutely nothing to do with either's politics. Uh, so that that's Boucher's or whatever. Apparently, they have a running gun battle between the two of them. Uh, but that's the lawyer the- for.
3: So, yeah, so the says is, it's is not there nature, there's some kind of dispute or feud between them, but nobody's really given much more detail about it than that.
2: I'd love to know the details. Yeah. That would be a great story to see what's really going on. You know, why do they hate each other?
1: Yeah, well, yeah. we don't know. Um, we don't know. It might just be this guy um, doesn't like Rand Paul, and Rand Paul doesn't really have – and he, you know you can't control whether somebody hates you. So
2: I was you talking know, so to an anesthesiologist know. about this at lunch. I'm talking to an anesthesiologist about this at lunch, and he's like, uh, he's an anesthesiologist, and he you know, and he, he he's attacking the guy. Out of politics, didn't make any sense. He said all anesthesiologists are libertarians. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> doctors usually are these days, uh, libertarian. Most of them because they deal with Whoa, so much government yeah. paperwork. But, um, so, that is odd that they're they're both doctors, like dueling doctors. Yeah, one one thing that did
3: come up in this guy's background is apparently he's had some career problems before that he, he, like, he lost his admitting privileges at the hospital or something. So, like, who knows? There could have been some malpractice case where, you know, they were both in the OR and this Guy was the anesthesiologist and Rand was the ophthalmologist And, you know, maybe they, they lost their patient or, I, mean, I, I hate to speculate too much, but, like, that sort of thing does happen um, I've never heard of an ophthalmologist losing a patient <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, no, I can, that's the thing If they did, it would almost certainly be from anesthesia uh, Um
2: uh well, here's my well, well, here's the libertarian. Guys, the libertarian question guys, is Joe.
1: I, well, before, yes. before 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 you say that I just I just have to interject here. I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see.
2: Wait, wait, hold on, here's the good oh, question though. No. Probably... Uh... <laughs> Stevie Go Wonder with, and Joe. Ray
4: Charles couldn't see that coming. <laughs> good Joe. Good one. Okay, but the
2: libertarian question is Do you miss Rand now that he's gone? Well, he's not not in D.C. Do you – well, he's not there. He's not in D.C. He's not on the Senate floor. Do you feel a sense of dread, perhaps? I mean, he's not good for everything libertarian, but if he's gone, God forbid, who else is there?
3: Yeah, I mean, we'll just have to keep an eye on it. I I don't even know if they're they're currently in – I mean, if he was at his home, they probably weren't in session or something. I don't know the – I don't follow the day-to-day business of the Senate that closely. I'm sure there will be other people keeping an eye on it if they try to pull any shenanigans that he would object to or that wouldn't pass if he was there. I'm sure, you know, everybody will be screaming about it pretty quick.
2: I, I'll, no, I'll, I'll I don't point. hear yeah, the word I, I, I feel I like he's not a real libertarian, but he's better than no libertarian. You agree? On
1: some yeah. issues, that's correct. I mean, yeah. I I no, think on a lot of issues that, that we that could agree with Rand Paul on. So I, I, I would agree with you there. But uh, let's um, – I, I just wanted, even though people can probably already tell, Jeff Klebb is here. Um, he's in the house, so we have no fear of having to end the show early tonight. Um, but um, what we're going to move on to now is the, the shooting – in Texas and just talk about that for a minute or so. Um, So I guess we'll start this one with Jeff, since he's the newest one to enter the program tonight. So why don't you tell us what you think about that, Jeff? Well, I've thought a couple
4: different things. Um, I hear people talking about wanting to pass more laws, but this guy was already prohibited. He broke numerous laws already. He had said he lived in Colorado He said that he wasn't. When he filled out the form to get a gun, he said he wasn't prohibited, which he was. There must have been an error in the records reporting because if you're dishonorably discharged in the military, you should have been reported to N.C.I.C. I know when I got my concealed carry permit, I had to show my proof of my honorable discharge and my D.D. 214. Um, something something was amiss. The church was also a gun-free zone in Texas. Churches are gun-free unless they have a sign posted on the door that says carrying of firearms is permitted. So basically by default, it was a gun free zone. Um, A good guy across the street, apparently shot the guy and wounded him and made him stop shooting and flee. And they said that he may have taken his own life after he crashed his car, but they said the good guy with the gun got a shot into the guy who was wearing body armor. And it, it actually went in through a gap in the body armor and, pierced his body so that was remarkable shooting there's still a whole lot of this that is, is going to come out but this guy should have been already banned and precluded from purchasing a firearm in the first place and you've got the leftists all over the place having a wet dream before the bodies are even cold how they want to ban guns and they want to pass a law that will stop this but on the news tonight they were talking about local churches and synagogues who are hiring armed security guards to help protect the place. So I think this may have an opposite effect of what the leftists really want. I think this is going to be a situation where you're going to have more people choosing to carry, more people choosing to carry concealed, and more greater situational awareness. But that's just my take <clears> on it. And also, one more thing, um, there, were few, there were more people killed in Chicago over the weekend than there were in that church. Or I should say more people shot in Chicago over the weekend than there were in that church. And they have all the gun-free zones you can imagine. So uh, that tells you what the gun control laws are going to do. Well said. Yeah, it sure
1: does.
3: Well, yeah, that's um, one of the things that really stuck out to me is. Um, I mean, you don't have to go go that. Every time a state uh, brings up changing its, uh, you know, most states at some point had a ban on on carrying a gun or, or it concealed carry in churches, in particular. And a lot of states have moved to um, to repeal those restrictions in recent years. And every single time, there's a bunch of, of headlines about you know guns in church. Republicans passing a bill to put guns in church, and how awful that is. Um, and, and this is just
1: this is the case in point.
3: Um, you know this is this is why you shouldn't ban carry in churches. Um, and uh, and the point about the dishonorable discharge is. is I mean, true, I mean big you know a lot of people don't understand, but that's the, the equivalent of a felony conviction um if you've been dishonorably discharged, and so it, it's it's on the disqualifier list, um just like if you were convicted in civilian courts of a felony um mm-hmm. and so you know and it's a, yeah, you drop it i mean like they have every everything. It, I mean, I, they 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 run to scream about how we got to pass some law to stop this, but they can never explain. Well, how would your proposed law stop this? They can't tell the story from A to Z of how if we had passed this law they to passed, then this couldn't have happened. Uh,
2: well, they did cite. I did see that they cited uh, the fact that uh, Australia bought back a million guns. We have three hundred million guns on the streets of the United States of America. So. There's never going to be a problem getting the guns. It might, you know, right. be well, more more expensive. But I mean, you're not going to well, get was, even, was, the, only people, the, really the only example. Jeff, what's it say? When you ban well, guns, the, the, the only people that are going to have guns is a
4: criminal. Right. Well, well also, if, you talk about buying so back guns. Right. There's no buying back if the gun never owned. If the gun was never owned by the government, they're not buying it back. That's called confiscation.
3: Right. And that's what they did in Australia. Was you know a, a quote-unquote mandatory buyback. But yeah, it was. Ah, it was mandatory. See, they, told, very,
2: they don't even tell you that.
3: And they had, it had very low compliance rates. It had no discernible impact on on gun violence. You know, they cite well, there hasn't been a, a you know this sort of mass shooting in Australia since then. But I mean, Australia is a much smaller country population wise. Like, you can't you can't really draw that sort of statistical inference from it. When you look at the actual um, homicide rates and and, uh, uh, gun violence rates and that sort of thing, it made zero difference in Australia.
1: (coughs) Well,
4: Australia also Um, didn't have a
3: second amendment either. Right. No, they
4: don't.
1: Yeah. So uh, guys, before we get on to bringing on Phil Anderson, I do want to talk about one other thing quickly here. Um, a Robert Mueller investigation And they they brought um, Charges against uh, Manafort And now NBC had an exclusive Yesterday or the day before Saying that he had enough evidence To charge uh, General Flynn um, So I think this is A big deal and that it's got the Trump administration worrying Of course Trump gets on Twitter and says They were losers, they were this And blah 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 so what do you guys think?
4: He's in like. Personally, man.
2: I think that the more important, interesting thing is the fact that Tony Podesta and Manafort were both working for Hillary Clinton and the, uh, and the uh, Saudis and the Russians at the same time. That crew right there—that's what they do. doing. It's, when they when they issued this indictment, they're talking about 2009. It's got nothing to do with Trump. It's got nothing to do with the election. Now, Flynn would be interesting if they could tie him into 2009. Meh, I ain't so sure.
3: Well, I mean, it's certainly interesting that it's kind of evolved in the direction it has. I mean, some of this, not the the Manafort indictment, but the Papadopoulos, And uh, indictment was related To stuff during the campaign that he lied About his contacts with Russians And you know that it it Probably was the case that there was people In the campaign trying to work that And you know whether or not there's a crime And all that I'm not sure but um, You know uh, Frankly my attitude to the Mueller investigation has been This might not be What I would choose to impeach Trump for I can think of better things I would like To see him impeached for but I'll take what I can get. If this results in <laughs> taking down Trump, um, you know, I, I really, I really don't have a whole lot of objection. Um, and if it ends up ensnaring <laughs> yeah. some Democrats and Clinton too, and the rest of it, eh, fine. <laughs> they can go down too. That's, but uh, that's
1: the way I feel.
3: Well, that's um, not
2: the way I feel. So, uh, that's not the way I feel, guys. I just hate, hate, hate to interject a different viewpoint. But what you got to look at is. Uh, it's like the, the Saudis have done an amazing thing, okay? They have gone and busted all of the Bush-Clinton uh, crooks in the Saudi kingdom. Like the top guys, they're taking down monsters in Saudi. So you can't say – you can't look at this situation with Trump and these indictments without looking at the Saudis and saying, ooh, I think it's more about Clinton-Bush than it is about Trump. You know, you, don't, you know, Trump is an afterthought from the beginnings of this corruption that's destroyed our Congress, and Trump is just at the very end. Don't worry about Trump. He just got here. And, and, and even by default, Trump is doing things to create a, a cavalcade of problems for the mainstream media establishment people we've been fighting against for 10 years. You know, I'm saying on some level, Trump is helpful to our cause as libertarians by taking out these big-time crooks
1: well, well yeah, i am so, happy yeah, uh, to have them go down with him which is my my,
3: <laughs> my view well and that's the other thing is you know it's not like this is some anti-corruption campaign that trump started these are people who got caught up in an investigation of trump <laughs> that he tried to kill um so you know i mean i think uh uh, I mean, if, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure what I think if this is the case or not, but if it is true the Trump campaign was coordinating and uh, in, colluding with the Russian government uh, related to the hacks of the DNC and all that sort of thing, I think that's a legitimate political scandal, regardless of the legalities of it. Uh, but- Bullshit.
2: They, they, they paid 6500 for some Facebook ads, and they, and they gave Hillary $3.5 million. Are you kidding me? It's got nothing to do with it. It's it's a, it's a, it's a oh, fraud have, perpetrated have, by the DNC. What about Donald Brazil coming out this week? Can you imagine the chairman came out and put Clinton under the bus entirely? And then the Saudis all go down the same yeah. week? This is something big going on, and it's got
3: nothing to do with Trump. Well, I mean, I, Hillary Clinton's not the president.
0: <laughs> Thanks <laughs> But she and her
2: cabal are going down in flames. You know, you start investigating Trump, and all Well, great, but that, that, none of that down.
3: exonerates Trump of anything. Well, even if $6,500 yeah, sure. on the if Facebook it,
2: ads don't mean shit.
3: No, the well, Facebook ads don't 50- mean anything. But there was a lot more going on than that.
1: Yeah. Well, That's all I've seen. That's I, all I've I, seen. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, guys. Well, we're gonna um, um, we're gonna get to um, our guest now. He is the chair of the Wisconsin Libertarian Party. He's good friends with our co-host Andy Craig, which is probably why he agreed to come on the program. Because you know, why would he just <laughs> want to talk to us? But anyway, but anyway, anyway um, he's running for governor of Wisconsin. His running mate is Patrick Baird, who's running for lieutenant governor. So. We're going to have him on now to talk about his candidacy, what he's up to there, and what it looks like for libertarians in 2018 in Wisconsin. So good evening, Phil. How are you tonight?
3: Great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And welcome or hello to everyone else, too. Andy, too, even. (laughs) Hey, Andy.
2: Especially Andy.
3: Especially Andy.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, so – uh, Phil, why don't we just jump right in and you start telling us about why you decided to run for governor and and uh, what your plans are.
3: Well, we've got an atrocious state government here. Uh, as you guys know, Scott Walker's been governor since 2010 and um, has been terrible, you know, not even those elements of conservatism that we as libertarians respect. He has not really done a good job even with those, so. <clears throat> Uh, And and, uh, the Democrat establishment here has been weak and ineffective in terms of addressing that. And, uh, you know, I'm just coming off of a a Senate campaign where um, things went pretty well. We would have liked it better than 3%, but we did 3%. And so I've got a decent amount of statewide uh, name recognition. So uh, it it needed to be taken up. And, And as the chair of the state party and coming off a pretty successful campaign, it's time to continue to attack uh, the government and its problems and its coercion and it's all of its corruption uh, head on. So that's, that's what I decided to do.
1: Hmm. Well, that's,
0: well, that's something about well, thank your you opponents.
2: so much for standing up against these two big parties attacking the government. That's what I'm saying. We got to, uh, we got to win Congress away from the Republicans and the Democrats. And uh, if they can do it in France against their two big parties, then we can do it here. And we're only going to do it with candidates. So, I read your your uh, issue statement, and I love the idea of getting rid of the IRS. That's the slave master for every American, and until you get rid of them, we're still in slavery.
3: Yeah, we we're taking an approach. Although I'm very obviously a philosophically sound libertarian, a uh, member of uh, um, the Radical Caucus, um, so I I hold <laughs> not that not that not to pick any fights with anyone, but I, I'm just telling you that i am very uh philosophically sound as a libertarian but it, in saying that uh, taking the approach that and i think this holds true for any libertarian running for office that we need to meet the people where they are and so our main issues aren't the the issues that uh the general public might might think are more extreme or you know less relevant but we're talking about you know bringing uh government back to local the local level and the personal level um trying to make a, a, a a level, fair playing field for businesses and entrepreneurs in Wisconsin, which, you know, given the the recent Foxconn news, that's not the case here. Um, And then uh, last of all, abolishing the state income tax. These are all things that resonate with people. Um, There are lots of other issues that we talk about. We talk about legalizing marijuana as part of criminal justice reform and many, many other issues. But these are the ones that we think are going to engage the maximum number of people in Wisconsin and give us the best chance of, of getting our message, our whole message, out in front of the public, um, as opposed to them. You know, we've had candidates before around the country, but in, in Wisconsin as well, who, who uh, tend to dwell on messages that the people just kind of roll their eyes at. And we, we that's not an effective way of spreading our message and getting getting people to, to accept libertarians as a legitimate option to Republicans and Democrats. Well, Phil, I'll let the I'll let the radical stuff slide and vouch for you as one of the good ones. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I've got a good pragmatist as a running mate too, Andy. So we're there we're we balanced, uh-huh. it, you know. Yeah, and you and I and that. you know me, obviously, I'm not I'm not flying the radical flag everywhere I go. Anyway, I just said that to make a point. So one <laughs> thing I did want to bring up, and I don't think I've talked about this with you before, but um, Wisconsin is one of the uh, few states that has no term limits. I think it's one of only three or four. Our state party platform does endorse term limits, and it, it might kind of come up being a little bit more relevant in this race because uh, Scott Walker is running for a third term, um, which you know in most states you couldn't do—you can't do for president, etc. Um, so, what are your what are your thoughts on on term limits, and you know if trying to go stretch it for a third term is going to hurt Walker? Well, I, my, for my investigation into what the folks in Wisconsin are thinking, I do, I do think it works against him. I think there are a sizable number of people that have voted for him um, the past, you know, three times now, the two two elections plus the recall, who are fatigued by him. And, and, and I think he suffered with them. Um, I think Foxconn doesn't play well with a lot of conservatives across Wisconsin. And his run for presidency, you know, they're already asking questions if he's if he is reelected, will he serve out his entire term, um, or will he run for president again? I mean, there's a lot of issues, so I think that's baggage for him. Philosophically, we have four-term limits. Uh, to a certain extent, um, the government shouldn't be something that requires the level of expertise, and right now we've got state and federal governments full of lawyers as you know running it and and as elected officials. It shouldn't require that level of expertise to to, to to uh, participate in government. Um, We should reduce the size of scope of government to the point where citizens can readily access it and and represent their constituents well. So um, Mm -hmm. on the other hand, uh, you know, if there were somebody that, you know, the will of the people should be expressed too. So, uh, you know, I'm not 100% for term limits. Uh, I see their wisdom because we tend to get a locked in political class and people that, Claim decades of experience and which is basically decades of corruption and connections to all kinds of things. But uh, but on the other hand, um, you know, limiting limiting it to one term or a certain number of years, I'm I'm not terribly comfortable with that. But I think in the in the near term, uh, supporting term limits is a good idea because we need to we need to clean house. Well, that's why (laughs) we need to clean house. I've heard libertarians kind of argue both sides of it, and, and I, I kind of come down to the same, same place you're at on it, which is that it's it, it might be a necessary thing now, but I, I get the counter-arguments. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is uh, you mentioned the Foxconn deal. Um, this is kind of getting to become a bigger issue, but uh, uh, in a bad way, Scott Walker was kind of, head of ahead of the curve on this. Uh, you know, it was when he came in that he started the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, and um, and that you know whole thing, and and I I'm glad to hear that's something you'll be running on. It, it's it's kind of like well we've been doing this for years, and now Foxconn is just the inevitable end result of it in terms of the size of the subsidy. But uh, I think it's become uh, you know I mean, is that one of the one of the things you're gonna? campaign on it, I guess, is is we did, and the broader sort of problem besides Foxconn. Absolutely. That's the second thing that I mentioned, uh, the growing Wisconsin from within and having a a level playing field is all about reducing regulations, reducing taxes, and not uh, spending money on trying to lure businesses or repay political favors or whatever it might be. Um, I think the Foxconn deal, uh, as people get used to it, they'll see um, especially with our, <laughs> with our, uh, you know, trumpeting this point, uh, that that it's really a, a big handout of taxpayer money, and uh, it puts other companies that are competing for labor and resources in Wisconsin at a disadvantage. There's, I don't know how much the rest of you guys know about it, but there are exemptions for uh, environmental concerns. There are exemptions for how subject they are to the local court system, um, and I mean, there's a tremendous amount of not just the money that that's being given away, but the exceptions to what normal government would be involved in, in terms of monitoring the behavior of a business like this have been removed. And it's, it's just so blatant. Um, it's shocking. And and I think that already people are reacting. I mean, Democrats were always against it uh, mainly because it you know, even though they're for big government handouts, et cetera, they're, they're against it because, because it's a, a Republican initiative or whatever. But, uh, Um, There are a lot of people that are, uh, as they get feedback from local businesses and people that feel like, uh, as we do, that there should be a level playing field that shouldn't be handing out companies to get them to move here. The the businesses that are here, the people that have lived and worked in Wisconsin for decades, uh, those are the people that should be getting relief from onerous regulations and excessive taxation, not a handout of their tax money. The, The people I just mentioned are paying taxes so that Fox Time can come to Wisconsin, and that is that's a slap in the face to people that, that live and work here and start businesses here. Right.
4: Well, I have one more. So
3: long, long answer to a short question, Andy, the answer was <laughs> yes. We're, answer. we're we're campaigning on, on Foxconn. That's, that's a big part of what our, our three things that that's a big part of number two. Excellent. Well, uh, I I know this is uh one other little bit of local news topic. I wanted to ask about from, I'll, I'll hand it over to the other co-hosts here, mm-hmm. but, um, that's the gerrymandering case that's uh that's you know coming up before the supreme court now with the democrats suing the uh republicans basically for gerrymandering the state legislature pretty heavily um what's your what's your take on that and how do you think it might play into you know when a potential decision comes down play into some of our uh, down candidate down ticket candidates running for legislature and that sort of thing well i'm not sure i mean my impression as of right now my understanding is that the the arguments have been made. I know that that, that you've already. The arguments have been made to the court, but they have not rendered a decision yet. And I don't really know what the timeline is for that. But my suspicion is that the Supreme Court will make a decision. Um, the fact that they've heard the case is, is is significant because they considered it to be worthy, you know, worthy of of their attention. They'll probably rule uh, that the gerrymandering has gone too far, and then I think they'll remand it to a lower court or to some other authority uh, in Wisconsin to to facilitate the remedy. And because of that timeline, I'm thinking that since we're, you know, a year, almost exactly a year away from the 2018 elections, that we're not going to see the result of anything by 2018. And I think it's most likely that they will request a remedy and not enact it until after the 2020 census, that it'll be a longer-term fix. With a, with a standard set by the court, a uh, precedent set by the court, rather than scrambling it in 2018. But um, but in terms of the libertarians or any third-party candidate competing in heavily gerrymandered districts, um, you know, we – it's interesting, I think, because we have situations now where some candidates run uh, directly against one of the big parties without the other big party running or just a paper candidate, and, and the, our candidate's – Tend to do very well in those sorts of races. Uh, we had uh, a candidate for state assembly get 30%. We had a candidate for state senate, I think, in 2014, get 28%, I guess, a relatively popular uh, sitting state senator. Um, but that is because there's only one big party running. So if you get rid of the gerrymandering and the, and, the, and the races become more competitive, our numbers probably in the short term go down, but we have more of an opportunity to swing a race we become we, we are in a better opportunity to beat the spread as nick Starwark likes to talk about it let's beat the spread so that we can affect elections and even if we don't win we can affect policy and i know that's something that you pay attention to as well andy that's how i think it changes whenever it happens we have an opportunity to affect policy on our way to possibly winning some elections mm-hmm.
0: what well, do you think
3: great. about to say uh, the just,
2: independence the independent vote swings all these elections i mean do you really need to be more than an effective two or three percent of the of the uh, of the of the registered voters in order to swing the independent vote your way?
3: I, I think the challenge I think is reaching them. That uh, a PPP poll just came out I think two weeks ago, um, and the news that came out that the media covered was that uh, Scott Walker wasn't as popular as people might have thought. I mean, this is sort of a a liberal-leaning polling organization, so maybe they're a little skewed in that regard. But the good news that came out of it was that I think it was something like 34% of people that they polled identified as either a third-party or independent, um, independent voters. So our 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 issue, our our challenge as libertarians is always about just reaching people, and we're held back by um, fundraising, by not being a good investment for people that would seek to influence and have access to politicians once elected. Um, by the media not wanting to cover us, by access to debates, not only at the federal level, but in Wisconsin we've got a similar issue um, with being locked out of statewide debates. These are things where if we can overcome them or work around them and just reach enough people with the basic message of libertarianism, we can win. Because I think a a lot of the reason that people don't vote is because they don't feel like they've got a real choice. And we offer that, and we offer one I think that resonates with most people. The real challenge is reaching them, and, and there are independent voters. There are people that are Democrat and Republican leaners or, you know, usual voters that we can pick off a few of those, but the the, the, the right fields, the fields that we should be wading into are the unlikely voters, the people that have been turned off um, by politics in general. If we can reach out to them and say this is – we're different for, you know, all of these different ways, maybe they'll vote. And and if they do, then we've got something serious going on.
1: I that's, that's good. Jeff, do you have any, anything you'd like to ask?
4: No, not really. I just was thinking back about the gerrymandering thing, and I think it's funny how in, here in Virginia the Democrats are all up in arms about the gerrymandering, but they didn't seem to have any problem with it when it was done by them. They only don't like it when the Republicans do it, and you'd think there would be some kind of computer model that would be able to make the districts concise and congruent as possible rather than looking
3: like a squished salamander. You
0: know.
3: <laughs> hey, we've got the same problem here, Jeff, and and the Democrats did it when they were in power. Um, in this case, they went. the Republicans went so far that um, even in the measurement sense where they're looking at how many people in the state voted Republican, voted Democrat, and how that's reflected in the state assembly, which in Wisconsin has 99 seats, um, it's, to- it's totally skewed to the point where um, anybody who's not incredibly partisan um, and blatantly partisan has to acknowledge that it's totally, you know, the way that they've districted, is it, totally skewed people. And I think that's why the Supreme court's hearing our case is because it went so far uh, beyond what anybody should, you know, should accept Can you as any reasonable. Some more about your case, you give know. us some
2: more details about your case, facts, law, anything.
3: Well, I'm not, I'm not all that familiar with it in terms of all the numbers, but I do know that, that the, the, the Democrats, who are the plaintiffs in this case, although they're not, not on paper, the plaintiffs, but it's more or less the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, um, are, are using – they're not just saying that it's not fair. They're, they're using mathematical models um, it, to demonstrate this, you know, what I'm saying. So right now, and I don't remember exactly the way the assembly sits, but it's something like maybe Andy knows better than I do. It's like 5643 Republican or something like that. Yeah, that, yeah, it's around sixty Republican seats. I don't know the exact about number sixty, options. and I, and I think actually more people voted for Democratic assembly candidates than voted for Republican assembly candidates. So it's it's skewed that far, and if you look at the total number of votes cast, it was the other. You know, it, it would it would represent a, a a huge change in terms of uh, how many are serving, um, if which party. So I, I think, I, and that's the case. I. If it was just, you know, they gerrymandered, then the court wouldn't have heard it because it happens all the time. But this was just so uh, blatant, so obvious, and, and so beyond the normal scale, I guess, that the argument can easily be made that this this gerrymandering that they did was in direct opposition to the will of the people in the democratic process. Um, it stifled the will of the people or whatever. I, I think you can make that argument mathematically without know
2: What court are you in? It's in
3: front of the United States Supreme Court. They just heard arguments, I think, wow. three weeks ago. So, What's the that, name that, that's what, Yeah, it's a big deal. Man. Yeah, What's that's the name? my actually, my, um, my state rep here where I live in Milwaukee is Fred Kessler, who's been around in the Wisconsin legislature literally since the Eisenhower administration. Um, he's like 88 <laughs> years old or something, but he uh, he was the Democrat, head Democrat who kind of cooked up this lawsuit and uh, pushed it forward and and brought it, and yes, there's been some news coverage about how uh, I guess it would have been 2010, the 2010 election when Walker was first elected, and that's also when the legislature flipped, so the governor and the legislature flipped at the same time in the same election. And Kessler had had been like the maestro of Democratic gerrymandering. He was already planning his own maps for what they were going to pass if when they had won in 2010, <laughs> like he'd expected, um, mm-hmm. and and then. You know, it it went the other way, and the Republicans went really extreme with it. Now he's the now he's the one standing up, suing for you know fairness and all that. So it is it is yeah. certainly hypocritical because you know again the Democrats do that when they're in power when they have the power to do so as well. But again, this in this case, it just went so far beyond that. You know, I was su- pleasantly surprised that the Supreme Court agreed to hear it, and but it's in front of them. Mm-hmm. They've, they've heard the arguments and. I don't know exactly what the timetable is for or when they ad, when they adjourn for their session or whatever, but uh again I don't think it's gonna affect twenty eighteen. It's getting a little bit late and we're too close to another right. census for them to really you know, want to do something on a on a quick turn uh timetable. But you never know. This is egregious and it's time package. to change it and they they might they might decide that it's egregious, it's time to change it and here's what you need to do and you need to fix it before next year. That would be fantastic. They, be, need, they, need <laughs> they need to come up with a standard.
2: They need to come up standard.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't think the Supreme Court wants to be in the business of prescribing that specifically. I think they want to just say it's wrong and send it back down the chain. I, it is what I—that's the sense I get. Um, I don't know how the that. Supreme Court acts, but, but which again adds time to the process as well. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. You never know, I guess.
2: I mean, you gotta feel good to think about the thing. So, I mean, it, the new, the new, uh, the new justice, Trump's justice. What's that guy's
1: name, Andy? Neil Gorsuch.
2: The most Gorsuch. He's got to be. I mean, I bet he writes the opinion. Hopefully, he might be the guy. He could help us on little Yeah. Well i did I did follow the oral
3: argument that it, it kind of sounded like it was gonna be a predictable um five, five four case with Kennedy as the swing vote uh but Kennedy was pretty hostile to the uh to the state's arguments to the to the republican side um so it's probably if I had to guess that's probably how it'll come down. I don't know maybe it'll end up being six three and Gorsuch joins too It's hard to say um but it's likely gonna be uh at least Kennedy plus the four liberals. So you thought they were hostile to the defendant or to the plaintiff, Andy? Uh, Kennedy was, was hostile to the defendant, which would be this okay. – I don't know, the terminology. Okay. It's weird at the appellate level, but the, the state – No, I know what you mean. Yeah. To the about, Republicans. Yeah. So if you, had, if you had to handicap it at this point, based on what you heard, you'd think that the that, that the case will be found in favor yeah, of Democrats be and some remedy will have to be enacted. <laughs> Yeah, Kennedy asked a bunch of hostile questions of the state's lawyer and didn't ask anything of the uh, the Democratic plaintiff's lawyer. So that's, that's a pretty heavy nod to which way that's going to go. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So that'll be interesting.
0: Well, the question comes,
2: is Gorsuch is going Gorsuch to go which way? He's appointed by the Republicans. And, uh, I mean, he's going to rule against the Republican Party. That'd be cool to see. I mean, I have a lot of really good feelings about Gorsuch if he tried to straighten out the, um, the, the whole problem. Well, you never,
3: is. you never know though, Jeff. I mean, uh, John Roberts was appointed by a Republican and then decided that. Yeah. Really. Was attacked. So,
0: uh-huh. and, and
3: they're not reliable that way. Once they're, once they're on the court, I mean, even Clarence Thomas and, <laughs> and some others that were thought to be pretty reliable, reliable conservatives in that sense, uh, you know, str- stray from that when they see fit. So I, I, I don't know, maybe he will, but maybe people... I wouldn't rely on who appointed them, you know? Yeah.
4: A lot of people wrongly believe that Supreme Court justices are chosen for life. That's not technically in the Constitution. It says they're supposed to serve as long as they have good behavior, and Congress Mm -hmm. does have the power to impeach any civil officer, including a Supreme Court justice, if they so chose. I don't think it's ever been done. What's that?
3: I was just saying, and then Roy Moore gets a vote on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop! Oh. You let the wind
4: out of my sail. <laughs> yeah. Um, well,
3: but Roy
2: the Moore might. Uh, he Roy, Roy Moore might vote in favor of. of I mean, uh, of ending all this. If he, if Roy Moore could come up with a way of um, ending the, the, uh, the uh, gerrymandering, don't you think he might be on our side?
3: I well, at least on have that no issue. idea Of course the position on jo- I do know that the national Libertarian party is the only one That includes opposition to gerrymandering By by name in our platform That's in our elections policy plank Um so You know I, as for the other two parties It's just you know, like we were discussing It's so situational uh depending On which party it just happens to be the majority Um in a given state and right Now the democrats have fewer state Governments so they are they've been on the short end Of the, the past decade Um Nationally, but it's it's you know hard to say. Um, yeah, like 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 it? any like any increase in governmental power, the, the opposition party looks at it and decides: <clears throat> should they fight it or should they wait till they're in charge again and they can take advantage of it? I, I think that's what happens right. at the federal level, especially that they're looking at executive orders or whatever. And people got so upset about Obama's executive orders, but looking forward to the next Republican president, they want Trump to have, you know, or, or whichever Republican president they have that authority to do that. So the, the Wisconsin case is right. special because it went beyond that, uh, uh, to the point where it could be adjudicated at the, at the federal level. But I think most of the time, the, the over governmental overreach is just, you know, uh, uh, one, one party is doing it and taking advantage of it. And the other party, the other big party is just waiting for their chance to do the same thing. Right. Well, one,
4: story, one, one thing that
3: just occurred to me is, um, so in Wisconsin, you don't—if you were elected—you wouldn't appoint judges because we we elect all our judges here, uh, which is you know a mixed bag. But uh, <laughs> but there is a, a an appointment that's opened up recently, and that's the uh, sheriff of my illustrious Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office since uh, you know the Cowboy A Wall finally bugged out. Um, <laughs> and, and well, where did David Clark? Where did he go? Yeah, they,
4: I'm sorry. Where did what? He go?
3: Where did David Not Clark go? Resigned. Why uh, he resigned? At the, uh, he joined some PAC or something. He was going to get a a job in the Trump administration. That fell through, and he left to go do a PAC or something like that. But but anyway, it's been in the news recently because in Wisconsin, even though sheriff is elected at the county level, if there's a vacancy, the government the governor appoints the uh, replacement. Clark was himself initially appointed by the governor to fill a vacancy. Um, so I got, that was my question I was getting to for Phil, which is, you know, if you were the governor and you have these sorts of uh, vacancies and positions like sheriff that come open and you have to uh, make, a, make a nomination to fill that vacancy, how would you go about that process? Well, well I, well, I know a, looking a, for a, a good libertarian in law enforcement in Milwaukee, and that would be an easy choice. Assuming he doesn't get elected to the assembly, it would be pretty easy to, to name Matt Buckman uh, uh, the Milwaukee County Sheriff. I would, I would love to be in that position. Um, yeah. other than that we 're just looking at people you know we're, if i 'm elected uh, we 're going to have a big sea change in terms of uh, criminal justice reform that's that's first and foremost on my list of things to get done we'll be uh, reconvening the governor's pardoning uh, advisory committee and starting to pardon people that are uh, in, incarcerated for victimless drug crimes and that sort of thing so uh, i 'm going to need a sheriff and it, whatever wherever county that would happen if i'm if i 'm uh, naming an interim sheriff then it 's got to be somebody who's going to Philosophically uh, agree with with what we're trying to do at the state level, so that's that's my litmus test, I guess. They don't have to be a you know a, a card carrying libertarian, but they need to they need to be on board with the the sort of criminal justice reform that we desperately need in Wisconsin.
0: Yeah,
1: I I have a question for you, Phil, about your uh, campaign. You're running with Patrick Baird. Uh, are yes. you running as a ticket? So if somebody votes for you, they also vote for Patrick.
3: Well, the way it works is we run separately uh, or we campaign separately until our signatures get turned in. We each need to turn in 2,000 signatures to be on the ballot. All the statewide uh, races have to turn in 2,000 signatures, so we have to do that separately. But when it comes to voting, you do vote for both of us. Yeah, just to explain, uh, Wisconsin, they they are nominated separately in the primary but run together as a ticket in the general election. so... Technically, Bill and Patrick are running separately for the Libertarian nomination itself. But then, in the general election, there'll be a it's a ticket where you cast one vote for both of them. And you never know; there might be we might have a primary primary opponents that none have arisen yet. That's entirely possible. But uh, my personal feeling is that's counterproductive. If somebody wants to run for office, um, we've got other statewide slots uh, for, and other assembly seats and state senate seats and a variety of things that you know we should all be working together on who's running for what, I think.
1: Yeah, well, I was I was just curious about that because I noticed on your website you had um, Team Gov 2018 so I figured it had to be a thing where you guys would eventually be running together.
3: Sure. Patrick
1: and so, I uh, um, collaborate a
3: lot. Uh, he, he was the former treasurer of uh, the Libertarian Party of Wisconsin. He was also uh, campaign manager for my race for U.S. Senate last year. Um, We do a podcast together. Um, He co-hosts a podcast with me. And uh, he he and I don't, you know, we don't agree philosophically necessarily, but uh, we're very complimentary in terms of our skill sets, what we bring to the table in terms of a campaign, and I think it makes all the sense in the world. And we're we're hoping to add uh, people to, you know, to the other races. There are three other statewide Wisconsin races, uh, Treasure, uh, District, Attorney General and Secretary of State that we want candidates for. We all want to work as a team, so that we have a common platform and we're really, you know, leveraging each other's ability, uh, abilities, whatever they are, and not just running separately and and uh, being inefficient in that regard. So that, that's kind of the goal. I'm trying to get Andy to run, but he's he's too dang busy doing stuff like this.
2: Oh, Andy! <laughs> Andy's gonna win. Andy. Next time Andy runs for Congress, my prediction is he's gonna win. He's got. He's, he's, we're in the perfect position as libertarians to remove the corruption, to clean the swamp. You can't, Trump can't clean the swamp because he's a Republican. But if he had been a yeah. Democrat, if he'd been independent or a libertarian, he could clean the swamp. Everybody wants to clean it. Everybody knows the R's and D's can't clean it. But Andy Craig can clean the swamp. And uh-huh.
3: he's he, Andy, Andy's in a I tough have, district. I, I agree with you, but he's in a he's in a tough district.
1: I have I, to I, I have I, to quote I, uh, somebody on Facebook. I, I believe it was Tom Arnold. I'm in that
3: had on that for a while, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I
1: have to quote I have to quote Tom Arnold who said very brilliantly a few weeks ago, um, how can you clean how can you drain the swamp when it's a federally protected wetland? <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> well you just gotta burn that sandwich up then.
0: <laughs> that. Um, yeah. yeah well i mean you
2: know, I, we, I live in the swamp in louisiana we live in the swamp so there is an actual thing okay so in the summertime if it gets hot the water gets low it gets really hot there has been some amazing swamp burns it's like a, it's like a it's like a swamp fire it's like a forest fire out in, in uh you know burn for months and months and months And uh, it's amazing when there's a swamp fire. It's a wonderful thing. The second best thing to draining it is burning it off.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, well, Phil, uh, why don't you tell folks how they can get in touch with you if they want to volunteer or donate to your campaign or just check you out and see what you're all about?
3: Well, definitely. It's very easy. Our website, as one of you gentlemen mentioned already, is TeamGov. That's G-U-V. So, P-E-A-M-G-U-V, teamgov.org, and that's the site that Patrick and I are both running on, and as we acquire other candidates for the statewide seats, they'll be on there as well. Um, We've got a donation tab on there. There's information about uh, our positions on issues uh, and ways to volunteer. We use the Nation Builder platform, which is the same platform that Gary Johnson campaign, and a lot of other campaigns use that. So it's fully functional in terms of gathering information. Our calendar's on there. Everything you need is at teamgov.org, teamgub.org.
1: All right. And you're on Facebook and Twitter also? Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. Um, and those are long links, but you can get there from our website. So if you go to our website, all the links to Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, and your listeners have already have already posted on your page and I've shared your information around my contacts, so it should be pretty easy to find me, I would think.
1: Well, that's good. That. We, we hope folks will um, will check you out and if they're in Wisconsin. I just had somebody write me. He's not really a libertarian, but he said he can't vote for Scott Walker for a third time. And he thanked me for sharing your information with him. He said the guy looks solid. So uh, I think you've got at least one vote there. So. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Anyway, that. yeah, we appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, and we we look forward to having you back uh, sometime before the next election. And then if you're not too busy once you get to the governor's mansion, maybe you can call in for a couple minutes and just say hello. Um,
3: that would be fantastic. <laughs> I'd be happy to any time.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank Have you. a good night. Good luck. Thanks. Hey, Phil, good thank luck. You.
2: Keep up the fight
1: uh yeah so um I think that um that we ha- we have someone that may that uh may wanna uh ask a question or or something so um i'm gonna go over to to uh our talk line and see who it is and and why don't you guys talk about um an issue till I get back
3: <laughs> all right
1: sure. go for well, Andy.
3: um <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm excited. I, one thing we didn't mention earlier is Phil had, uh, with several of our assembly candidates, had a very nice announcement event or kickoff event at, at the state capitol um, here a couple weeks ago. I was there, and um it was very nice. Got some local media coverage, came out, had a local radio show host who was emceeing it. Uh, all very well done, but what went, went great. Um, so that's the kind of, you know, event we, we certainly like to see candidates putting on. Um, I, I, you know, despite despite uh, uh, being being asked to very very nicely, I, uh, I certainly have not made any decision myself about running for anything in 2018. And I don't know, you know, I did I ran in 2014 and 2016, and I might uh, I might just uh, call plays from the sidelines on this one, but we'll see we'll see how it goes.
2: Yeah. I agree with you, Andy. I understand totally. I mean, you know, you, you feel like you're the only guy running up the, running up the. Uh, up the hill sometimes, and look if you if you if you you know you might be more valuable calling place from the sideline. My my uh, personal uh, philosophy is, I'll run if I can't get anybody else to run. But having uh, <laughs> you know martyred myself twice before, I, I feel like you know I should be able to. you know encourage it. and I had a great contact call today with a guy who wants to run as a, just as a city councilman in his local community. And I mean, when I told him I, the whole idea of run indie libertarian, you know, we got to get these big, big, we got to do it all at one time across the nation, you know, independent of the R's and D's, and he loved the message. I mean, he wants me to meet with his father. He's going to run for city council. It's a, it's a kind of thing that when you, when people hear, they, they respond to. It's, it, it, there's a, there is a huge level of dis. I'd like to know the polling on dissatisfaction with the two big parties. Andy,
3: you got, you got know any actually, polls about this. I actually, Gallup, uh, I, I have those numbers. Gallup runs exactly that poll question they have for a long time, and it's worded something like, uh, do you think Republicans and Democrats uh, do a, a good job representing the American people, or do you think a third major party is needed? And uh, the numbers keep going up and up and up. The last one, they do it once a year, and the latest one was just released, and it was 60%. Um, saying they want a third major party and that the Republicans and Democrats, you know, don't do a good, good enough job representing people. So that's absolutely the case. That's the get over the hump winning message for offering a, the Libertarians as an alternative.
0: Yeah. well, yeah, I, 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 I know I could
2: rely well on and you, Andy, to answer to have those numbers handy.
4: I think it would be higher than what? that. Everybody I know complains about it.
2: What about uh, Hillary getting indicted as part of this thing? I've seen all kinds of stuff on Facebook that maybe Hillary and our Tony Podesta might get indicted. Any, any chance of that happening, Andy?
3: Uh, slim chance of Podesta, zero chance of he's going to get indicted. Uh, 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 frankly, she could mount a legal defense and get the case char- uh, tossed just on the things Trump has said about how he wants to lock her up. Like that's, when you're a defense lawyer, you know if the if the governor was out there talking about how your client's guilty and they want to lock him up, it would uh, it would come up in court. So uh, you know, this is uh, uh, I, I think there's basically zero chance Hillary ever gets indicted for anything coming out of this. Um, Tony Podesta, you know, yeah, I'd be lawyering, lawyering up if I were him right now.
4: Well, you know, you also have to realize. Look at all the people who, you know, had information about the Clintons that could be damaging they always end up committing suicide (laughs) so you know you have to watch out for that somebody will end up driving their car into a tree to commit suicide or something like that
2: yeah there are no witnesses left for uh, Hillary to uh, worry about Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) yeah well
0: Uh, hey Joe Joe, Joe, I wanted to ask Joe
4: something all right. I, I caught. I, I was a couple minutes late getting getting onto the show. I had not answer Nature's call, but yeah, we noticed. Um, regarding the election for tomorrow in Virginia, um, I'm sure you uh-huh. probably hit on that in the first couple minutes of the show. But I just, as a libertarian with conservative roots, I'm kind of in a quandary. There's no doubt I'm going to vote for Cliff Hira for governor. That's obvious. But the attorney general race and the lieutenant governor race are kind of a yeah, pick your poison type of thing. Um, I have a gun, but I don't have a uterus, so I'm more likely to support Jill Vogel and John Adams. But yet, they're kind of bad on personal is- personal liberty issues. You know, Justin Fairfax would be the tie-breaking vote for a tax increase, and he would vote for gun confiscation. Jill Vogel's gonna be against the tax increase and stand for the Second Amendment, but she kind of comes from that theocratic. Um, you know, authoritarian section of the Republican Party, as does John Adams. So I'm I'm kind of halfway, it's kind of a 52 48 situation, so to speak. And I have uh, a woman I know who's on the kind of comes from the left side to libertarianism, and she's going to vote for Justin Fairfax and um, um, Mark Herring for pretty much the opposite reason. So I figure we'll cancel each other out, but we're both going to vote for Cliff Hira. So that's good.
1: Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to know what to do there. I know some people are, um, have told me, uh, when they go to the polls tomorrow, they're writing in Jim Lark for one of the, um, uh, spots there. Uh, I don't remember if it was for Jill Vogel or, or, uh, John Adams, um, Another name that's been bandied about, Rick Sincere, um, John Buckley, even though John Buckley no longer lives in Virginia, he's in West Virginia, and I had to clarify that, he no longer lives here. They said, damn, I wanted to vote for him. <laughs> but it's it will write-in votes be counted. They will tally them up, but they're likely to result in nothing, but it's a matter of can you vote for one of those two other candidates or not? And if you can't, that's the only logical solution. Um, you know, some people would say, well, personal issues are too important to let slide. And with a Republican legislature here, there's there's no way that Justin Fairfax and Mark Herring are going to get gun things passed. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's six and one half dozen of the other, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I still haven't made up my mind yet, but the more I hear about Jill Vogel and John Adams, the less I like about them. But, you know, I already know I don't like um, uh, Justin, Justin Fairfax, Fairfax and Mark,
0: Mark, and Mark Herring. Herring. I mean, yeah. there,
1: there are some things I do like about the two of them. Um, and and so far, I the only thing I can say about Jill Vogel and um, John Adams that would even remotely be something I'd care about is Second Amendment. So if if I was a one-issue voter and that was my issue, then they'd probably get my vote.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So I know just, that uh,
1: Andy, uh, and,
3: well,
0: what, ask, Andy and... What, I
3: Andy? I, I'm i just going to ask. I haven't followed... Uh, I don't recognize all of these names, um, but I, I gather that in some of the uh, some of the lower statewide races, there's not a libertarian on the ballot. Is Cliff Hira the only statewide libertarian? Yes. Uh, uh, libertarian? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes he is. Uh
1: huh.
4: There are some yeah, delegates. It would, it would... There are some libertarian delegates.
1: <clears throat> yeah, there are some delegates. Andy knows about Terry Hurst and some of the others, but um, I was going to ask Andy to weigh in on this, and I kind of already know his um, his his belief system and in, in write-ins because we've had a discussion about it before when somebody said they wrote in, uh, Rand Paul, uh, Ron Paul in, in 2012. But, um, I, I, in, in a case like this, Andy, what would you do? Um, I
4: don't
3: know. <laughs> Put him on the spot. When I have to, when after when I have to pick, I usually, uh, I tend to go for divided government. Um, and you said it's a Republican majority legislature, so you know some counterbalance to that is probably uh, better uh, when it's one party control. That t- tends to be when they're at their worst. Um, so I'm not, you know, I, I, but I have not. I'm not familiar with the, the Republicans and Democrats running for you know Lieutenant Governor and Attorney General, and the rest of that. Um, I will say on the Attorney General race, that's the kind of thing I would. You know that the office uh, Criminal justice matters are more important So I might uh, I might lean toward the democrat In that sort of race for that reason but um, I mean when it comes to Write in votes I've done it I, I mean I get it in fact uh, When when there's only one name On the ballot I always cast a write in Even though I know it won't really be tallied And it doesn't matter um, Just on the principle of the matter So that's you know that's an option But you, you got to understand I mean I don't I'm not wild about it when the Libertarian Party runs write in candidates. Um, I think it hurts our, it makes us look not, it's just not good. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's generally worth doing a party to run write in candidates when they can't get on the ballot, you know, unless you're doing it specifically to protest like some really bad ballot access law if you're in a state that has that. Um, so, you know, that's. that's yeah. What,
1: well, the that's reason that we don't idea, have. So. Yeah, the reason that we don't have candidates uh, for statewide office other than Cliff Hira is because it would have cost the Libertarian Party about $10,000 or more mm-hmm. per candidate to get them on the ballot.
3: Yeah, and that's, <clears throat> that's the petition. It's not quite as bad here in Wisconsin, but when I did a statewide race, that was – in the ballpark of what we spent, uh, to get me on the ballot statewide here in Wisconsin in twenty fourteen. Um hey, Joe, so yeah. Individual petition. Ten thousand dollars yes. is
2: is so little. Ten thousand dollars is so little compared to what these big parties they spend that, like you say, on dinner for one night. So mm-hmm. next time we have a problem raising, next time we next time we have a problem raising ten grand we should probably not even broadcast that, you know?
1: Well, it's not it, it, there there are several issues at play. It's not just the $10,000. It's that you've got a bunch of people trying to get Cliff Hyra on the ballot and the resources are limited. And then you've got you've got to have people getting the other candidates on the ballot. And Virginia is structured in such a way that you have to have 400 valid signatures from each district. And so when you only have two full-time petitioners working the state or three, and I think the last time we had three, and then you have a bunch of volunteers, you have to put your resources where you think they're going to best work. I would have loved to have had three candidates on the ballot. And I agree with people who say you'll get more name recognition and more notoriety if you have a, a governor, a lieutenant governor, and an attorney general candidate. And you know, Andy, you were talking just now about you don't really know too much about the other candidates. I think you may remember that Justin Fairfax was left off of one of the Ralph Northam flyers um, a oh, few weeks ago, oh, and yeah. people uh, people were count were were crowing about it and saying, "Well, it was racist and this and that." I'm not so sure it was racist. I think that it's a matter of Ralph Northam has been bought and paid for by Dominion Energy to support the pipeline. And Justin Fairfax is firmly against it. He doesn't want the pipeline. Now, he may have different reasons than Cliff Hyra, but nonetheless, you know, this isn't some Murray Rothbard thing where if you don't agree with me on the reasons, then then you wanting the same thing as me doesn't count, you know.
0: Right. right. <laughs> you
1: know. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, I think that had a lot to do with it because I've heard from various people who are heavily involved in the Democratic Party here that these people, and they're supposed to be such environmentalists, but they're pissed off that Justin Fairfax won't just get on board and say he supports the pipeline. The top of the ticket supports it, and even if you don't, you're supposed to. And I'm like, well, what happened to being such an environmentalist? Well, now's not the time to be an environmentalist. Now's the time to win the damn election.
2: That's right. right.
1: <laughs> on a tactical
2: note, know, uh, what I, what I want to share with y'all is, and I, and I feel for you, every time I hear y'all have to talk about these these, uh, these petitions, you have to get signed to get on the ballot. Louisiana was a Democrat state for before 1900. All the way until I was maybe In college, you know, we had a big We had a big um, The oil patch went South, and when it did The Democrat system of government that was like Let's say the montant Roulet, let the good times roll uh, (laughs) Under a lot of scrutiny came under a lot of scrutiny And what happened was The Republicans at that point in time uh, Were in an advantage So when they Had got that advantage um, I mean, that we had some that would change these institutional rules, like at ballot access. So, if there's a particular jurisdiction where you can identify that, that you know, a, an old guard. I think I heard someone say something about the um, earlier tonight. There was a, a place where we we may have a was changed from the Democrat 2010. Someone said something about 2010, Andy. And uh, please bail me out here, but. When 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 there, you find yourself in an ascendancy position as a R or D, we can we can influence the R or the D that's coming up to make some changes as far as ballot access. It worked in Louisiana, man. We need to uh, right. identify places like that where we can change that ballot access laws because before the Republicans took over Louisiana, they didn't have control of anything, so they wanted to change those laws. Now they are in charge, so they're not going to change anything. But if there's certain jurisdictions well, where we can find the, ch- the, the the transition going, we can make a change there. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, I would
3: say uh, – and this is something Richard Winger has talked about. Uh, it's undoubtedly the case that in its entire 43-whatever, 45-year uh, history, um, the Libertarian Party has won more actual policy changes on ballot access than any other – thing. We've had a lot of success lobbying for um, and getting ballot access laws passed in the state legislature. Laura Ebke in Nebraska uh, introduced and passed unanimously I think it was a ballot access bill that protected the um, libertarians there in Nebraska. Um, And so this is, uh, you know, it's it's something every state should be looking at and, and cultivating you know, relationships on the, in the state house to try to get, uh, you know, and strategic litigation, To A lot of times there's probably not a single state in the country uh, where the LP hasn't at some point or another sued. Uh, there's been a long, ongoing legal fight in the courts over how restrictive ballot access laws can be, and the LP is usually on the front lines of that. So, uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot can be done, there. a lot can be done.
2: Analytics yeah. is there any kind of any kind of libertarian analytic thing going on? or like you do it like the uh, moneyball and baseball where we decide where to go. I mean any, anything like that? Analytics, Andy?
3: Yeah, there's some people who do that sort of thing. I've looked at some of that stuff. Um you know, there's limits to it and it, it can have some value. Uh it, you know, depends on what you're looking for and kinda of what your underlying assumptions and theories are though.
1: Yeah. Well, guys, this has been a very interesting discussion tonight, and uh, we've covered a lot of topics and had a great guest. Um, Next um, show, we are going to have um, uh, Corey Watkins, who is running for uh, governor of Texas as a libertarian on the program, and I believe the date for that is, I'm looking at my calendar now because my um, mind is not always what it should be, uh, it's the 27th, so that's going to be our guest for that night. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking with him because he did a lot of great stuff uh, during uh, Hurricane Harvey for the for the victims in Houston, and we'll talk about that mm. and more. So um, anyhow, um, looking forward to it. Thanks, as always, guys, for being on. Oh, and I did want to mention one other thing uh, before we go. Um, If you follow me on Facebook, you probably know that I'm not going to be in uh, Virginia too much longer. In June of 2018, I am moving to Portland, Maine. Uh, This show is going to continue, and uh, since Jeff Klebb will be the only remaining uh, member of the show in the Virginia area, um, we're going to let the title of the show stay as it is for now, and then when he moves to Maine – We'll consider changing it. So
4: uh, I'm I have to talk of the New England accent out there, partner. <laughs> well, you know, so, there is
2: a, a, a contingent of Old Dominion uh, listeners in Maine. I'm certain, and no one wants. There to are. We have people. That the name listen. change. We have, so so don't, don't um, change the name. Old. Some about Old Dominion rings well in the libertarian tradition. What is <laughs> what, what does what is Old Dominion, yeah. Joe? Explain Old Dominion Virginia. for us
1: real quick. Well, I would love to, but uh, <laughs> you, you put me on the That's just what they call top. Virginia. I'm,
2: yeah. Got, and and um, then they call Old Dominion is Virginia? That's a nickname for Virginia? Yeah, like the
4: university, Old Dominion University is here. I know that. Old
1: it's Dominion yeah, is um, here, here's, here's i I just looked this up, and very briefly it says, Old Dominion is one of the best-known nicknames for Virginia, along with Mother of Presidents and Mother of States, the nickname prob- probably derives from the fact that Virginia was the first and therefore the oldest of the overseas dominions of the Kings and Queens of England.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's keep so the name there Old go. Dominion, but
2: it was also the, uh, the, the 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 battle the battle the, the front lines in the uh, uh, War of Northern Aggression.
4: Exactly, it was. It was the capital of the Confederacy. (laughs) Will you, gentlemen, have a good night? I have to answer another call. Take care, gentlemen. I'll
1: I'll see you guys on the next show.
4: Good night. Good show, Joe.
1: All right. Good night, everyone.